0: Good morning. Welcome to Embrace. My name is Jeff. Eric. Eric. Hey, are they ready to praise the Lord? Tell them say amen. Amen. Come on, I can't hear you. Amen. Say amen.
1: Amen.
0: All right. Give my hand, y'all. Now we going to turn it over to our worship team. Give us some love.
2: Good morning, everybody. I invite you all to stand with me. And we're going to begin our service by uh, saying this just simple but uh, deep call to worship together as be- we begin our time together. I'll read what says leader, and you'll read the part that says all that's in yellow. Oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit
1: King of kings, you are my everything, and I will adore you.
2: come into the presence of the holy and mighty and powerful and spotless God, we're often aware of our own fragile nature, our own sin, the ways that we come short. So I think it's good as we enter into worship to begin by confessing our sin and acknowledging that we need God's uh, mercy, we need God's forgiveness, we need God's grace in our lives. And so we know nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So let us together in freedom, confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Y'all may have a seat. What we're going to do now is something that we do every week at Embrace and it is just a great time of connection and maybe meeting new people. Just an opportunity to, to share just a little bit with someone here. You know, I'd hate for anyone to come to church and not get a chance to talk to anyone or connect with anyone. And so this is a good opportunity for us to do that. We call this our time of gratitude and lament. We also call it our time of praise and protest. Uh, We're sharing something that we're grateful for. But then also something um, that you're lamenting this morning. Something that may not be so good in your life or in the world. And so um, I invite you all just to turn to people around you. And I think everybody can share something they're grateful for. So introduce yourself. Share something you're grateful for. And then if you have a lament this morning or something that's just not quite right that you just want to bring to the group that you're seeing that you want to lament this morning, then you can share that also. Those of you online, I'd love for you all to share as well uh, with one another in the comments. So let's do that right now, and I'll call you back together in just a moment. you all to stand with me. We're going to continue on in worship this morning.
1: Oh, love, how deep, how broad, how high, it fills the heart. That God the Son of God should take our mortal form Who is like you Lord in all the earth matchless love and beauty in this world nothing in this world can satisfy and Jesus you're the cup that won't run dry your presence is heaven to me
0: nothing like your presence nothing like
1: your presence your presence is heaven My days on earth I will away. Jesus you're the cup that won't run dry Jesus you're the cup Jesus you're the cup that empty filled, the wounded heal, the broken back together, the poor are blessed, the weary rest, we will dance forever, the blinded see, the chained are free, the doubtful now,
2: can have a seat and what we're going to do now is dismiss our children uh, for their time of learning in the Wonder Room. And so let's give our kids a hand as they make their way over this door. If you have a child who is four years old, all the way up through fifth grade in school, then they are invited to go up to the Wonder Room. If you're visiting with us and a, new parent, a parent of a child here and you've never sent them up, you're welcome to walk with them up there and introduce yourselves to the teachers and uh, see kind of where they're going to be. Um, But we'll let them get settled, and I'm going to transition here to the front. So last week I introduced to you something new that we're going to do each week um, here at the church. We want to spend some time every single Sunday um, praying together and spending some time uh, just giving you all a chance after the kids have left, kind of settle down a little bit. After all the kind of great noise of music and worship, uh, we also want to take some time just to be quiet and to connect with God through prayer. And so every week, um, I'm going to kneel here at the altar, and you're invited if you would like to come and and kneel at the altar as well. You can also stay in your seats. You know, some churches have those cool, like, kneeling rails in the pews, and uh, we don't have those cool things here. But we do have a nice altar up front if you'd like to kneel. You're also welcome just to kneel on the floor um, if you'd like to do that. Um, But I I find often my posture for prayer um, helps. Sometimes I like to stand. Sometimes I like to walk back and forth when I pray. There's all sorts of ways. You may want to open your hands as a sign of of surrender and release to God. Um, But we're going to spend just a few moments uh, praying in silence, and then I will close us out with a prayer that I'll pray on behalf of all of us. And then after I'm done, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And I'll remind you that if you were here last week, if you weren't, then I'll tell you now. Um, We're going to be praying the Lord's Prayer, but instead of trespasses, we're going to be saying debt and debtors, okay? And so it'll be on the screen, so just be ready for that Uh, because I know that many of us grew up uh, saying it a different way, and for a season at least, I'd love to pray it in this way, because this is probably more in line with what Jesus actually said when he taught his disciples to pray a long time ago. For some reason, uh, people have liked to take out the economic language out of our prayers. Uh, Perhaps they don't want to think about forgiving their debtors, I don't know, uh, or forgiving the debts that people owe to them and whatnot, Um, but we're going to recover some of that language in the way that we pray. So, I'm just going to kneel here. I invite you all, if anybody would like to come forward and kneel at the altar, you're invited to do that now. And we'll just take a moment of quiet. And like I remind you, most weeks, uh, the word for spirit in Scripture is also a word for breath. And when I breathe, I like to think of God's Spirit filling me up. So we have to breathe in order to live. We Feel the breath in our lungs every moment of the day, just like God's Spirit is breathing life into us and sustaining us every moment of the day. So breathe in. Breathe out. And be reminded that God is with us, that God lives within you, That God is all around us. God is everywhere. There's no place we can go to escape God's presence or God's love. God's love is sustaining us, breathing life into us, keeping this world going. Receive these words from Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Lord, we pray that we could slow down enough today and as we go throughout this week, that we could slow down enough, that we could stop and slow down enough To remember who you are. To remember that you are God. That you are with us. That you have a plan. That you love us. And that you are moving and working in ways that often we cannot even perceive. Help us to have eyes to see. Ears to hear. goodness of the gospel and the ways that you're working and moving around us. Lord, we come to you today with gratitude and lament. We come to you with praise and protest. We come to you with joy and also heavy hearts. Today we want to just pray over all the needs that people are experiencing right now. This week I am particularly feeling a heavy heart for those who are suffering the loss of loved ones. Just in our community, we have people that we have lost. We pray for the family and and friends and all of us who loved Leroy early. We thank you for his life and his legacy. We thank you for the ways that he taught us to value the simple things to practice gratitude each and every day, how to remain joyful even in the face of great tragedy. Lord, we pray you would just touch our hearts this morning and meet those in their time of need as they mourn and grieve the loss of their father, their their uncle, their great-grandfather, their grandfather, their friend. We also are remembering uh, Carol Sparks this morning and lifting her up as she is dealing with the loss of her granddaughter, much too young, just such a tragedy, Lord. Words are not enough sometimes to express the the grief and the pain that we feel, particularly of loving our children and our grandchildren. We pray for her children, Lord. We pray for Amanda's children we are going to grow up without their mom. We pray that you would protect them, that you would guard their hearts. That you would help them Lord to hold on to those memories they could even experience joys they think about those memories of their mother but Lord be with them in their time of pain and grief be their extra close friend be their mother and their father as they deal with this loss and Lord be with Carol our just sister who's been so faithful and committed to this church for so many decades help her just to feel the love of embrace this morning And know that she's cared for and that we are with her and that you love her unconditionally. God, we also just lift up all the other just losses that people are feeling and experiencing. There are probably more that I don't know about. And I pray that you would be extra close to those folks as they grieve and as they mourn. Lord, we also just pray a prayer over the violence and the just pain that so many are experiencing right now all across our city, even right here in our own neighborhood. God, we continue to lament and protest the gun violence that continues to just wreak havoc on our city and our nation and all across our world. We lament the missiles and the bombs and the drones and all the lives that are taken because of our weapons of war are spreading violence and destruction and death instead of life and goodness and mercy. Help us, Lord, to be people who can witness to your great love and the peaceable kingdom that you came and proclaimed and called us to partner with you in seeing built here on this earth. Lord, touch our hearts this morning. Help us to be open to receive whatever it is we need from you. We love you so much. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us. And now we can all join together and pray this prayer that Jesus taught us his disciples to pray so long ago our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power In the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for spending that time praying with me this morning. Even after two weeks of doing it, it lifts my spirits to be able to offer up our needs and requests to God. This morning, I'm really excited. I'm going to be sharing about a passage that I came into like kind of dreading talking about. I was talking to Christina about it earlier in the week. I was like, I don't know about this passage. I'm struggling with the idea of prayer and lots of things, and and I realized I didn't even understand the passage uh, until I started really looking at it and reading it, and it's a really just powerful story. And uh, before I begin, though, I want to show you some images on the screen behind me. And as uh, Tim is kind of scrolling through these images, I'll just say that all these images are from protests and demonstrations across our world um, against many injustices that we've seen in our world. Some of them are from the past, and most of them that I have up here in my slideshow are more recent. You know, I'll say that I'm gonna guess that most people in our world are pretty uncomfortable with the idea of protest. Um, protests can sometimes be very intense, angry, loud, demanding, Often laws need to be broken uh, during protest. Sometimes businesses in the areas where they're protesting, often in downtown communities, these businesses often lose customers and are impacted by them. Traffic sometimes is shut down, which really just upsets tons of people. People in power are called out, very specifically, often loudly and held accountable. You know, the whole point of a protest is to make people uncomfortable. That's the whole point of them. Uh, To put pressure, enough pressure, on people who are in power so that they have no choice but to relent and to give in. That's kind of the whole purpose. Frederick Douglass famously said these words way back in the day in 1857. He said, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. The woman in our story for today understood this that power concedes nothing without a demand. I'm going to read our story from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The words will be on the screen behind me. Once again, the lectionary has taken us to this story. I believe that the things I'm going to share are faithful to the Word of God and what Jesus is teaching us. And often, Jesus can be. Um, a bit uncomfortable and fairly radical and very straightforward. And I think this parable is a powerful one for us that ought to challenge us and perhaps encourage some of us as well this morning. My uh, heading says, The Parable of the Persistent Widow. And these headings were added in later. They weren't part of the original text, but I think this is a good heading for this story. The Parable of the Persistent Widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared not God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and." quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. So just before these verses that we're reading today, Jesus just said some pretty difficult words. And it's always good when you're reading a particular text to look and see what comes before. Because often what comes right before is connected to what you're reading in that given moment. In our Bible study that we're doing downstairs, um, we're learning these principles that the, the whole book is connected, and even the books of the Bible are connected to one another. But when you read a story, it's always good to look to what is said before. And this is a continuation of the stories and the things that were going on right before this particular text. What Jesus has just done, he had just said some difficult words. He had just said some things that maybe would have discouraged His disciples. He had just told them that they were going to suffer many things, or that He was going to suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He told them about the coming of the kingdom of God and its fullness and how it wasn't going to happen right away, and they were probably getting anxious and be like, what does that mean? He told them some crazy stories about what would happen when the Son of Man, which is the way He referred to Himself, And so he told them some stories about some crazy things that were going to happen when he finally returned. They were probably confused, stressed out, and anxious. And so he told them a parable, a story, to encourage them and to help them hold fast and not give up when things get hard. Are any of you tempted to give up right now? Are any of you struggling to hold fast are you feeling like you might lose heart and give up, pursuing the things God's called you to pursue in this world, pursuing God's justice in this world? Well, this story is also for you. So before commenting on this particular parable, I want to remind you about the purpose of parables. Parables are meant to challenge us. They are meant to provoke us. They are meant to cause us to think differently about how we live our lives in this world it's the whole purpose of them so if you ever read a parable and you're a little confused or it prompts you to think or you don't quite know what Jesus is saying or you feel uncomfortable you feel challenged that's the whole purpose of these stories Jesus was on a mission to help us see the world differently He wanted us to have eyes like that of God so that we can see ourselves differently. We can see each other differently. We can see our world differently. And he often used parables as a way to tackle some difficult subjects and talk about things that were maybe harder for people to process and deal with. You know, we have a tendency uh, to spiritualize all the parables that Jesus told. And to turn them into allegories and think, well, God's got to be one of the characters. We're one of the characters in the story. Y'all are one of the characters in the story. And we tend to, to take these like kind of like earthy stories and we turn them into things that are about heavenly things. Y'all may have heard uh, the phrase before that people often describe the parables as earthy stories with heavenly meanings. All right, And, and I think there's some truth to that. But I think that instead, uh, we ought to think of them as earthy stories with heavy meanings, as uh, Ched Myers points out. Because these stories are not just about heavenly things. These are stories about everyday stuff that we deal with here in this world. I would encourage you all to resist any interpretation of the parables that are only about spiritual things. Because often those interpretations fail to actually challenge the way we live our lives. You know, an an example of this, today's parable is a perfect example. Often people read this parable and they think it's only about prayer. When the parable clearly is a story about the way people in power treat vulnerable people, it's a story about how vulnerable people have the power to effect change for justice in their own lives, and in the world. And so I think we need to pay attention to what's actually happening in these stories and realize that there's more than one thing going on here. Jesus was a brilliant teacher and he told these stories about real life things to help people think about what they're doing in their real lives and how they're living and also think about spiritual things. For Jesus, the spiritual and the physical wasn't really separated anyway. It was all spiritual. And the way we live in our lives in this world are very spiritual things to think about. And so I want y'all to give that idea. Earthy stories with heavy meanings. That's what we can think about when we read the parables. So let's get to the parable. He told a story about a widow and a judge. Now the judge is described as a pretty terrible person. Says he didn't fear God. He didn't care about people. It says that he was from a certain city that is not named. Now, Jesus could just be talking generally, or he could be referring to an actual city and just assume people would know what he's talking about. You know, he could say, he's from a certain city, you know, and people I know what city you're talking about. Maybe there was a notorious judge in a certain city that everybody would have understood who he was referring to when he told this story. It's like if I said, there was a powerful man who lived in a white house, you know? You'd be like, oh, okay, he's probably talking about the president living in the white house, right? We're not in that culture now, so there could have been things like that that Jesus was doing. There was also a widow from a certain city, the same city as the judge. Now, these two people share nothing in common, except they lived in the same city. We don't know much about her, but we know she was a widow And in patriarchal first century Palestine, widows were very vulnerable people. They needed the protection of a man um, in many circumstances so that they could survive because this culture was really um, just dominated by men and women kind of had a hard existence living in the world. This woman was dealing with some kind of issue of injustice. We don't know what it was, but we could imagine all sorts of issues of injustice she may be facing. Someone had done her wrong. And she needed a judge to help her. And to help her make this situation right. Come to her defense. Yet the judge was uncaring. The judge was unconcerned. We have many judges even today that are uncaring and unconcerned. That hold lots and lots of power over people's lives. She kept coming to the judge time and time again. Demanding that the judge give her justice. Now he refused for quite some time ignoring her cries for help. However, eventually he relented. He did not care about God, and he did not care about her, but he was starting to feel very uncomfortable, and he cared about himself. (laughs) He was starting to feel the pressure that he needed to do something. She had made life very difficult for him. We don't know exactly how, but she had done something to make his life very hard. He said, the widow keeps bothering me. Other translations say that she was bringing trouble to him. And so he relented and gave her justice because he didn't want to keep dealing with this woman and also did not want her to escalate her tactics. My translation reads that I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. The Greek actually uses a boxing term which literally the judge is saying, I will give her justice so she won't come give me a black eye is what the Greek says. And this is more than just a threat of physical violence. A black eye is also a mark of shame, right? Particularly for a powerful man back then who's a judge, shows up with a black eye, not going to be very happy. It's, It's something where he would be publicly embarrassed even. Some have argued that Jesus is painting a political cartoon here where you have a picture of a poor widow intimidating this mighty and powerful judge. It's almost humorous, right? Particularly in that world, even more so. The widow understood what Frederick Douglass understood, that power concedes nothing without a demand. She didn't get the justice she deserved and needed, and so she persisted, and she refused to relent until she got it. I love this woman. Her example is so powerful. She is bold and courageous and persistent in the face of injustice and corrupt power. I imagine many of you all can think of persistent, powerful, unrelenting women throughout history, maybe people you know personally, who worked for justice when the odds were stacked against them. They are in the legacy of this persistent widow. We don't know if she really lived or Jesus is just telling a wonderful story, but she's someone that we can look to as an example of someone with courage and that relentlessness. You know, one of the confusing and I think really cool parts of these verses is that Jesus tells us that the story is about prayer. And and I read the story, and I'm just like, how does this have anything to do with prayer? That's my first thought. Um, At the beginning of the Scripture, we read, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So that was his purpose, according to Luke. So what does this story have to do with prayer? What does this story have to do with not giving up? You know, one interpretation I've heard many times before about this passage, and I internalized this interpretation to such a degree that when I read it for the first time, I had a negative response to it. And I'm like, I don't like this story very much. Because it's impacted my view of God in a negative way. The interpretation basically goes like this. That God is the judge and that we are the widow. All right? And that we just need to keep on asking God for what he wants until he gets annoyed enough and he finally gives up and relents to our demands. So basically, we need to harass God with our request until he's so annoyed and feels like we've asked enough times where finally God's like, okay, you've asked 25 times now, so finally I'm going to give you what you want. But there's one big problem with this interpretation. Jesus says specifically that God is not like the unjust judge. He argues that God will not put his people off, that God will bring justice and even bring it quickly, he says. He argues that God is a good judge and longs to bring justice, and that when Jesus returns, God's justice will be enacted once and for all. So let's set aside the interpretation that says God keeps ask or or we gotta keep asking God over and over and over and over again to finally get what we need or what we want in our lives. God is eager to bring justice. And we wait for the day where God will eventually come back and enact his justice in its fullness. So the question here at Embrace that we often wrestle with, and really we ought to always wrestle with, is what do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we wait for God to return and enact justice in its fullness? Jesus said that he was going to bring justice and even said quickly. And he clearly has a different definition of quickly than I do uh, because it's been a while. But we are in the middle. We are waiting. We're in this moment where we're waiting for God to return. And it's one of the great mysteries that I can't understand why it's taking so long. I don't know. But I'm holding on to the promises that God said he is going to come. And all the violence, all the suffering that we prayed about, God's going to set right. But the question is, what do we do in the meantime? Do we just come together for worship and hole up in our Christian bubbles and pray all day, hoping to be spared from the corruption of the world? Well, not according to this story. Jesus told us this story to teach us something about how we live in the world in the meantime. And specifically taught that we need to always pray and not give up. So what does that mean? Well, let's look at the widow and understand what Jesus is talking about. This widow has something to teach us. I mean, Jesus used her as an example for us to follow. He used her as an example of how we ought to pray and not give up. So what does she teach us about prayer? Well, I love that she, Jesus uses this woman as an example for us when we think about prayer because she offers us a model of prayer that is quite different than what we often think of when we think of a prayer warrior. We often think of prayer as something done privately or with a small group, with our eyes closed, perhaps on our knees, like we did this morning. We think of prayer as something done as something done in our minds and our hearts spoken with our mouths. We think of prayer that's something deeply personal and private that connects us to God. We say, I will pray for you. And that usually means that we're going to talk to God about a person's need and ask God to bless them in some way. Lately, many people have offered thoughts and prayers after terrible situations of gun violence. And perhaps those folks, they go and they pray that God would do something about the gun violence. Prayer is often passive, it's personal, and it's private. Well, that is part of prayer. Much of my prayer life is done at home, or outside in the wilderness and silence and solitude. However, according to Luke, prayer is much more than that. A prayerful life is seeking after God in worship and prayer, but also in action. Contemplation and prayer—I don't—or contemplation and action are not two separate things. I think they go hand in hand. They must be united in the goal of seeking God's reign and justice here on this earth. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just with our mouths, but with our actions in the way we live and work here in this world. It all goes together. Biblical scholar John Donahue sees this woman as a wonderful example of Luke's idea of prayer. And he argues that Luke understands continual prayer not simply as passive waiting, but as the active quest for justice. So not just simply as passive waiting but as the active quest for justice. So instead of just sending up our thoughts and prayers to God and waiting on God to do something, perhaps we should consider joining our prayers with active engagement in our world. Dorothy Sol, uh, a liberation the- theologian from, you know, a few years ago done a lot of incredible work, said that prayer ultimately leads to borrowing the eyes of God, seeing the world the way God sees the world. And she challenged people, I love this, to pray with their eyes open and seek to have the eyes of God, to see the world, to see others, to see yourself the way God sees. And when we have the eyes of God, We will see the injustice and the hurt and the pain all around us. And we will be moved to compassion, which will then lead us to action on behalf of God's beloved creation. You know, when I've watched footage and seen photos of the marches and the sit-ins and the other demonstrations throughout the black freedom movement in America a few decades ago, it's interesting because I see very little distinction between prayer and action. As they marched, they prayed. As they marched, they sang. As they prayed, they marched. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said that when he was marching, he felt like my legs were praying, he said, and reflecting on his participation in the historic 1965 civil rights march from Selma to Montgomery. I want to close by showing you another image, and I read a reflection on this image online, and And you probably have seen this image before, but it was taken of a woman named Aisha Evans, and it was in Baton Rouge in 2016, kind of during all the kind of protest against police violence and the stuff around George Floyd's murder. And an Atlantic, well, this was even before that, I think, but an Atlantic article described this photo in this way. A A single woman stands in the roadway, feet firmly planted. She poses no obvious threat. She is there to protest the excessive force which Baton Rouge police deploy against the city's black citizens. She stands in front of police headquarters, and she is being arrested by officers who look better prepared for a war than a peaceful protest. These are images that are impossible to forget, searing themselves into our collective consciousness. One man staring down a column of tanks in Tiananmen Square, a high school student attacked by police dogs in Birmingham, Alabama. This is such a photo. And as Elaine Enns and Ched Myers point out, it's impossible by this photo to differentiate this as an image of prayer or activism. It could be either, it could be both. We see in this image, I think, a model for us, being grounded in prayer so much so that we have the courage and strength to engage the world in action on behalf of the suffering and oppressed. So what do we do in the meantime while we wait for God's reign to come in its fullness? Well, we pray always and we do not give up. We partner with God in prayer and in action. We draw even closer to God through prayer and spiritual practices that we borrow God's eyes. We borrow God's mind and God's hand and God's heart and God's feet. And we discover such powerful unity with God that we literally become God's body here on earth, partnering with him to see our world restored. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to share communion this morning. And we share communion each week, and it's such a powerful practice for us. It's interesting, in the Gospel of John, uh, particularly in John, the beloved disciple, he, he talks a lot about unity with God through Jesus Christ. And he talks about how what Jesus did through the cross and through his death and through his resurrection, we are invited into perfect unity with God, the Almighty who lives in heaven through Jesus Christ. That through the Spirit moving and working, we can be invited into complete and perfect unity. He tells this story about how Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches and you can produce fruit if you're connected to me. And He says the Father is the gardener. It's this beautiful image of growth, of life, of fruitfulness that's found in being in unity and connection to God. And Jesus invites us into this kind of unity with Him That that transforms us from the inside out, where everything about us is changed because we become more and more and more like Jesus. And so, a life of prayer and unity and connection with God is something we're being invited into. But we're not experiencing that full unity with Jesus and with the Father if we're not in turn being invited to take on the hands and feet and the eyes and the ears and the mouth of God and becoming God here in this world to others. The church is called the body of Christ. Some crazy mystical stuff going on here that we as a gathered community, the more we grow closer to Jesus, we literally become the body and flesh of God here in this world. And so we are bearing witness to God just by the way we live in love with one another here in this world. And we have an opportunity to spread God's love and his goodness and his grace all throughout our community. And so I I, I want that kind of unity with God. That's kind of scary to think about, to be honest, because it's going to challenge us and force us to kind of become different and be transformed. But ultimately, we'll be transformed more into the likeness of Jesus. And this persistent widow in this story reminds me of someone just that's so connected to the heart of God, so connected to God's heart for justice that she knew she couldn't back down. She knew she could not give up. You know, people wonder why these people are willing to continue to press on and put their bodies on the line for the sake of other people. It's because they've been transformed from the inside out, because God's heart for love and compassion and justice has filled them up and given them this resolve to say, I'm I love these people too much to be silent. I love these people too much not to do anything. I love these people too much to not vote on behalf of them when I'm thinking about things like that. And this is how we need to be thinking that God, as he consumes us, we're going to take on his heart, his mind, his eyes, his mouth, everything, so that we can become more and more like him and spread his light and his goodness all around. So as we share communion, I want you all to really reflect on that unity that we have with God through Jesus Christ as we share this meal together. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for being here with us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be challenged to think about how we can pray always and not give up. That we can pray not just for our own selfish desires, but pray for your justice and for your goodness and for your reign, and then ask the question how we partner with you to see that actually happen here in our world. Help us to be persistent and relentless and to have the strength and courage and the fortitude to not give up. Lord, I pray you pour out your Holy Spirit upon this bread and juice that it would be for us, the body and blood of Christ this morning, that you would fill us up in ways that only you can. That we would leave here transformed, looking more like Jesus. Lord, we need you. We cry out to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you want to go ahead and get out the, the wafer on top, we can take this together. Take and eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. You can take and drink. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins.
1: strength to love there is
2: so much for being here this morning before y'all go I just want to share a few quick things with you Um, just some announcements before you leave today Um, we have the announcement sheets you receive every time you come in I encourage y'all to read those we're not going to mention all of them every single week Um, just takes a lot of time and all of you can check it out yourselves Uh, uh, we have an email that goes out as well if you're not on that email list uh, let Rachel know and she'd be happy to get you on that list. Um, a couple of things I do want to highlight for today. Um, the first is that we um, are hiring um, in our nursery. Abigail Ruger, who has been serving as our nursery coordinator um, for a few years now, um, is just needing to do something a little different in her life, and so she is going to be stepping down from that role here in the next um, few weeks. Um, and so. We are looking to hire someone to come in and take on that role. Savannah is still going to serve as the nursery caregiver, which is kind of the assistant to the coordinator. Um, But if any of you all um, know anyone or any of you all have interest um, in doing that role, um, it's for Sunday mornings. There's more information there. Please share with others. If you know of anyone who might be interested, please. It's always been hard to to find folks to apply for this particular uh, position. And so if you have any questions about it, let us know. Also, um, this month is Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, Sarah Trapp uh, said something about that last week. And I just want to remind you all of that. Uh, I'm not telling you to appreciate me this month, but um, I invite you to if you would like. Uh, but no, we have a wonderful ministry team here. And, and we have, I have wonderful people I work with. And we as pastors, I, I love the month because I want to say thank you to you all too for being such a wonderful church. Um, Because you make this the kind of church that we want to stay at for the long haul. Um, You make this a church where Christina's been here for so long now. Laban had already been going to the church and he's like, hey, I'd be happy to lead worship here as well. So he must love us. Uh, We just got a great team uh, of people. Pastor Tanya has been committed to this church for a long time. Um, You know, Rachel's not on our ministry team necessarily, but she is also a pastor to so many at this church as well. And so we're just so grateful for all of you. we do have an announcement on All Saints Day open mic that we're going to be doing. Um, we did this last year. Read about it. It's awesome. We're going to need you all to sign up to share something with us. So um, I invite you all to stand uh, to receive the benediction. The benediction is basically just the sending out. And so we've gone through a, a service of giving praise to God, confessing our sins. We've spent time in prayer connecting to God. We've heard a word from God. And now the benediction is sending all of us out to go and live out the things that God has done in our hearts. And so, may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.